What would it look like to claim your space as a leader and make a positive impact in your organization or community? Get ready to lead courageously and authentically from the core of who you are. Your leadership coach, Dr. Kristen Albert, will help you recognize how you are uniquely gifted to lead in your spheres of influence and help you become equipped and confident to handle the challenges of leadership. Take your leadership to the next level and create your turning points in leadership. Let's get started. Here's Chris. Hello, and welcome to Turning Points in Leadership. I'm Dr. Kristen Albert, and I am thrilled that you joined us today. In my Turning Points in Leadership podcast, I interview individuals who are changing the image of a leader, having to be someone at the top of the corporate ladder, or holding a title of privilege to be able to make a difference. Instead, my guests are leading change in bold and inspiring ways, and I want you, my audience, to be inspired by them and to consider how you can become a catalyst for change in your spheres of influence. And so today, I want to welcome my guest, Dr. Brian Norcross. Brian is the Senior Director of Instrumental Music and Conducting Studies at Franklin and Marshall College, where he has been twice voted the most influential professor in the arts and humanities, which is very cool. Brian is also the Artistic Director and Founding Conductor of the Allegro Orchestra Lancaster, the Director of Music at the First United Methodist Church in Lancaster, and an active guest conductor and clinician in the mid-Atlantic states. Brian received his doctorate with distinction, I might add, from the Catholic University, the Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C., his master's with performance and academic honors from the New England Conservatory in Boston, Massachusetts, and his bachelor's degree from the University of Massachusetts in Amherst, Massachusetts. He and his wife, Kim, are both educators and have four adult children, Molly, Megan, Grayson, and Gloria. Brian and I have actually known each other for close to 40 years through our overlapping musical endeavors, and I wanted to feature Brian on the Turning Points in Leadership podcast for a number of reasons. First off, I want you to meet an amazing human being whom I've admired for many, many years. When I think of creative leaders, I think of Brian. He is a master at creating positive environments and positive relationships. And I do hope that he will share a story with you about the turning point in his life when he declared at a relatively young age that he would make creating positive environments at the very core of his life's work. Brian leads in a way that is uniquely him. His way of being is calm, steady, and positive, and everything he does is grounded in intention and excellence. So I am so eager for you to get to know Brian today and to learn from the experiences that have contributed to his unique way of leading. So Brian, welcome, and thank you for being a guest on my podcast episode today. Well, it's great to be here. and That, that was an extremely long introduction and, and uh, almost terrifying. So <laughs> And it was actually longer what you said to yeah, me, I know. so a, I pared it down. I'm glad you did, because as I was sending, I'm thinking, wow, no one wants to see or hear any of this, but okay. Well, but it's all significant. It, it, yeah, is, it is. It is it all is. significant in who you are and what you do. And when I think about how you bring this leadership excellence together, I mean, it, you live it in every part of your work and your life. And so I just thought it was important for them to hear all of that. It, it does put things into context. So 
when we start talking about all of this, people will say, oh, okay, now that makes sense. Yes, absolutely. I always wanted to know and for you to share about the work that you do and how you are leading and have led in your spheres of influence. It's a wide open question and you've done so much. I wanted to say that I don't know how you as a human being fit all that you do in the course of a day, a week, and actually get to take vacation, which I know you were on vacation last week. I don't know how you do it all. So the real answer to that is something that I learned from a story, which I think is useful, which is the story of the big rocks, Mm. where there was a college professor teaching a class, had a glass cylinder sitting in front of the class and filled it up with large rocks and asked the class, is it full? They said, well, yes. He said, no. They pulled out a bag of gravel and poured that in and filled it up to the top and said to the students, now, is it full? Now, they hesitated this time, but they said, yes. Then he pulled out a bag of sand, and poured that in and shook it up so he could get all that. And he said, is it full? And someone boldly said, no. He said, right. He had water that he poured in. And then he said, is it full? And the class waited. And then they said, yes. He said, yes, it is full. Now, what did you learn? And they said, well, if you're careful with how you put everything in, you can get everything in. He said, wrong. <laughs> you have to start with big rocks. Mm. So it start with the priorities. And then you can fit everything else in. That and I have no idea how to do idle time. Mm. Interesting. Uh-huh. <laughs> just no idea. And that's just who I am. I'd rather be in motion. And so I'm blessed that my hobby happens to also be my profession. So when I'm relaxing, I'm happy to be reading a score. Wow. Or composing a piece of music. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As opposed to some other folks where, oh, it's five o'clock. Okay, I'm done with that. Well, five o'clock, I'm like, okay, we're just an hour from dinner. So that's going to be a break from doing all this other fun stuff. That I'm yes. doing. So it's, it's, I'm in a wonderful, joyful position of being able to do lots of stuff that I love doing. That's really yes. interesting. Using the the big rocks analogy, I would say that I do pay attention to the big rocks and fit in some gravel in there, but I'm very hesitant to pour the sand and the water in. I like to have that space Mm -hmm. where I decide how much of the gravel to actually dump in because unlike you, I, I can't be in perpetual motion. That doesn't satisfy me. That doesn't fill me. I need time to breathe, to sit, to reflect, to just feel the air. <laughs> and yeah, I yeah. I need yeah. that. I need that space. I'm learning that I need to spend time to reflect. Mm. The only problem is for me, holding several conducting positions, I might finish a concert. And on the way home, I have to literally be thinking about the next one because it's tomorrow. I oftentimes don't have the reflect time built in. And that's something I'm looking forward to adding to my life, which means something else has to adjust. So I'm working at that. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing that analogy. So tell us, tell us about the work that you're doing. I, you know, mentioned a lot of it in, in the introduction, but share with our listeners. Well, I think it's helpful just to say, okay, so this guy's a conductor, and that is not that he helps people with trains. It's that (laughs) I'm working with musicians in orchestras, 
bands, wind ensembles, choirs. So I'm the director of music, obviously, at Franklin, at Franklin Marshall College Instrumental Music, where I get to work with two orchestras and a wind ensemble and teach conducting, which is really teaching leadership. Amen to that. Which is fascinating. And I've also started teaching composition. Then working with the Professional Allegro Orchestra, which led to starting the Allegretto Youth Orchestra, because I had several musicians in Allegro say, could you do this for our students? Mm. Well, I love working with students. Sure, that'd be great. Well, that's now evolved into the Allegro Next Gen Youth Music Program, which now has five groups, has a staff, about 250 students involved. And I conducted the top group for almost 15 years and have just said, okay, I need time to reflect. So I've stepped down from that but I'm still the artistic director. So I'm overseeing the entire thing with a hope that my vision for positive reinforcement and creative engagement can continue and maybe actually infiltrate more of the performing groups than just the one that I was conducting. Mm -hmm. And at First United Methodist, where I'm director of music and director of chancel choir, which has given me the opportunity to really be a worship leader which helped me understand why I lead the way I lead. I hadn't dawned on me that it was a ministry. Uh -huh. And these were God-given gifts that I was using. And so the, the entire vision then is to give musicians an opportunity to perform beyond where they thought they could. And I'm the facilitator mm -hmm. to accomplish that, which also means I need to use, well, I've, First, I have to listen, not to just what they're playing, but what they say, and respond and react to that and make adjustments so that those folks can, again, perform better as a group than they could have on their own, and hopefully leave rehearsal happier than they were when they came in. And that's awesome. When you talked about conducting is actually teaching leadership. Will you come back to that later on? Is that something that you've thought about that's going to come back in one of the other questions or should we go there now? Let's go there now just so we don't miss that. So in the, particularly in the business leadership world, sometimes we look at orchestral conductors and say, there is a model of how we can do this, pulling all these people together to create this great big thing. And I think that's probably missing the boat, mm -hmm. not understanding. And plus some of the models aren't very good. Isn't that true? <laughs> and that's partly because many of us learn leadership from our experiences. And a lot of musicians went through a period where the conductor was a rough person. They might be demanding, but they weren't going to treat you in a nurturing way. And I've developed a different way of looking at things, realizing the power of positive reinforcement, which is actually really dangerous. Positive reinforcement has to be used just right. It has to be on time. It has to be tell the truth. It has to be specific. If it's generalized or not the truth, ooh, okay, mm. you have just created a, a problem that's going to be very difficult to get out of. Mm. Because you, your musicians know the truth. They know, is that good or bad? Yes. And they're looking to the leader to have to facilitate, to based upon what they just heard, help them to do better. And I've never met a musician who didn't want to do better at any age. Yes. And they also hear what's happening. So they know. I, I was working with an elementary 
a brass group. I was helping out in a summer program and I had these, these fifth and sixth graders play a phrase. I said, okay, you just heard it. What did you think? And this little fifth grader put his hand up and he said, we suck. <laughs> oh said, my. Okay. Uh, uh, could you be more specific as to exactly we, what we suck at? He said, we, we can't play dotted rhythms. The dynamics are a mess and no one's doing the articulations. I said, okay, be careful when you say no one and never, because there may have been some. Mm -hmm. And okay, but now you've, you've identified the problems. What should we work on first? And he said, well, I, I guess the rhythm. Okay, great. Well, we started to do that. Everything else was already taken care of because everyone had heard it yes. and they were now addressing that. So I, it gave them an opportunity to think. And in my ensemble rehearsals, I encourage people to make comments, to ask questions without the fear of what might happen if you question the conductor's tempo, which could result in you never being hired in some ensembles. Mm -hmm. And for me, rally to say, okay, I may have missed that, or maybe it should go faster or slower. Let's try it and see how we can get this to work. So there's an engagement, which means that everyone can now be thinking about what they're hearing and responding and reacting to that. And ultimately for musicians, it's observe, respond, react, figure it out. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's observe, accept. Yes, <laughs> yeah. And then figure it out. Okay, so given all of that, my role as a conductor, at Franklin and Marshall and teaching conducting is very much trying to get people to think about what's the musician thinking? Mm -hmm. What can we do to help them? Why did they play it that way? So once you can ascertain why they made that decision, now you can give them some ideas about how they could change that. And again, positive reinforcement at Franklin and Marshall, if a student presents a phrase boldly, I'll stop the group and say, Sally, that was a fabulous bold entrance. And the whole group will rumble their feet on the floor to cheer mm. for them. Mm -hmm. And then I'll say, it was one measure early. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, so many things <clears throat> happened at that magical moment. I'm so happy when it happens because that just told everyone, okay, the worst thing will happen if I make a bold mistake mm. is they'll cheer for me. Mm. That's the worst. And then we'll yeah. talk about how to do it better. Yes. Huh. Huh. So encouraging people to, to be bold. And the other part of that also is very personal. I endeavor to make sure that everyone in the room has been called by me by name at least once in every rehearsal. Wow. Now that might be greeting them at the door. That might be saying goodbye to them because I realized I didn't have a chance to talk to them in rehearsal. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, they all have a sense that they have been recognized. And as humans, we really like that. Yes. And that causes them to want to come back for more. And if it's positive reinforcement, they are eager for positive reinforcement. People will get in line to be identified and recognized for doing something well. Mm -hmm. So that is the other, I think, big thing that, that I try to encourage in, in my rehearsal process. I don't remember. Did I answer the question? I think you did. Okay. <laughs> and I think for the listeners that aren't musicians, creating a parallel 
it's not leadership by um dictatorship dictatorship right you are connecting with you're creating relationships you're creating opportunities for your players which could be you know your the your employees right, right. Uh, you're making space for those players to be able to respond and give input to make decisions to make collaborative decisions um all of that relational uh that relational work is one of the pillars of effective leadership and if <laughs> the data says it and we talk about the, the parallels then with a leader dealing with employees uh, another parallel with the conductor is i actually don't make any sound so if we if i'm asking people for help because that's one of the other definitions of being a fine leader who have you asked for help today mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i'm asking for help from everybody yes i cannot do any of this by myself and you don't want to hear me pick up the oboe and and play that line Mm-hmm. I could do it, but you don't want to hear it. And if I'm doing that, then nothing else is happening. Yeah. So I'm relying and counting on everyone to do their own part. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. my role is to facilitate them to be able to come together and maybe point out that an adjustment needs to be made so that all the parts can fit together better. Yeah. And you come with a vision. You come with a um, an auditory sense of of what you imagine the output to be. I mean, as a leader, I've got to know what I'm doing. Yeah, absolutely. And you've so, got to be able to declare it, but make that clear to those who... Clear who, communication. Yes. Oh, my gosh. And one of the other things is, as leaders, we tend to talk too much. Yes. So if you can deliver the message in one sentence and don't repeat yourself, hey, win. <laughs> and now your employees, your musicians can get back to doing what they wanted to do in the first place, which was their job or playing their music. Yes. And going back to your students at Franklin and Marshall, when you're teaching conducting, they learn that it's not just technique. It's not just the mechanics. And how many leaders go get into leadership because they're good with the technique. They're good with you know the technical aspect but they have no clue as to what it takes to be an effective leader. And you're bringing that right into that conducting class. In every class, every student gets to conduct. So they get up in front of the ensemble that's made up of the class. And right away, they have to figure out how to address the class, how to address the ensemble. Mm. And after they've done that, I ask the class to give feedback just for their comments. Mm-hmm. Okay, now we can start talking about the technique, which is frankly secondary. Mm-hmm. Because if you haven't connected with your performers, it doesn't matter what your technique is. Mm-hmm. They don't want to see it. Yes, that's right. They or, have no interest. No interest. And they won't pay attention to it. N- nothing. Yeah. yeah. Then also in class, when something goes wrong, and what's really great in class is it goes wrong all the time. Mm-hmm. How do you address that? What did you hear? Who are you going to now address? How are you going to address them? What are you going to say? And after you said that, I'll ask the person who received the information, was that helpful? They can say, "Uh, no. Okay, what would have been helpful? Mm -hmm. So there's this cross-communication teaching where they're starting to learn. And then they're saying, oh, Norcross, now I get it. 
that's why you do this in rehearsal. Yes. Oh, everyone should take this class. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they should. But (laughs) (laughs) I'm also thinking about how the questions, what you're doing for these students who are learning is you're giving them space for reflection and to develop their self-awareness. Right. Which is critical for leaders as well. I have a story. This is one of my favorites. Actually, they're all my favorites, but that's okay. So I had a student, uh, she was pre-med, went on to become a medical doctor. She was in one of her assignments and she was in the emergency room and they had a code blue person's heart had stopped and there was chaos in the room. Mm. So she used the techniques that she learned in conducting class Mm. to pull everyone's attention together. And then literally with gestures, got people to move and orchestrated so that they were able to save the patient's life. Wow. And afterwards, she was a little jittery, but she picked up her phone and she called me to say, your conducting class just saved someone's life. Wow. Wow. That jaw dropped. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, so wow. that, that ties that all together. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So what they are learning in this laboratory of music is applicable in all aspects of leadership because you're making these things conscious conscious to them and we actually talk about that saying okay this applies to other stuff Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you might say well i I, i'm never going to be a leader or a teacher like oh yeah (laughs) let's say you have children or you become an aunt or an uncle yes or a co-worker or a neighbor Mm -hmm. (laughs) everybody is a leader Everybody, okay, and folks, you on this podcast, this is the message that I want to get out there is that every single one of us is not only capable, but we are responsible for being leaders in our sphere of influence. We're in the the mess that we're in as a world, I believe, because we have (laughs) a couple of issues going on. One is people that don't see themselves as leaders that there is a need for people to recognize that they are leaders and that they need to step in and do this uh, and lead responsibly mm-hmm. and, read yeah. Pro- and yeah. lead positively. And then we also have leaders who are leading who have no clue what it means to lead. They've moved up the ranks. Well, they've been commercialized. Yeah, yeah. It's about marketing. We call that campaigning. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. one of my children sent me a wonderful meme the quote underneath was on the day that it seems like everyone else is in a bad mood at work. And the picture was of Darth Vader and stormtroopers. And among the stormtroopers was Big Bird. Oh, interesting. <laughs> I mean, you just look at it and you laugh. Yes. And you realize, okay, Big Bird is standing out because Big Bird is huge. Yes. Standing over the stormtroopers. But amongst all of that negativity was this wonderful was this wonderful positive yeah which positiveness if we thought covid was contagious mm-hmm. guess what <laughs> there is something that is more 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 contagious it's just stunning mm-hmm. <laughs> love it well <laughs> <laughs> we really unpacked a lot in that first question yeah, didn't we? <laughs> so tell me what is one of your earliest memories of leading or of leadership well, and you hinted at this, that I had an experience. This is when I was in 10th grade. Yeah, I was hoping you'd tell the story. Which is several decades ago. So I grew up in New Jersey, uh, played French horn, and I was first chair in New Jersey Allstate. 
okay, what a great opportunity. Although my horn teacher at the time felt I wasn't ready and I believed her. Mm. So that was issue one. And I, I love her. She's just terrific, but that created a little trouble for me. Now, the guest conductor was from a major conservatory music. The repertory chose was outstanding. It was just great. I was so excited. But in rehearsal, and we had three days of rehearsal, and rehearsals at these festivals are essentially child abuse mm. because they're eight hours long. Yes, yes. With a lunch and dinner break. You don't, you, kids aren't allowed to work that like that. And, right. and, and professional <laughs> orchestras? Yeah. No, no. I mean, this, yeah. okay, but that's yeah. what you have to do in these high school festivals. That. So, okay, fine. During that time, I don't remember him saying anything positive. His comments were specific and sometimes rough. Mm. And they got rougher as the day, days went on. In the second day, the horn section was struggling with a passage. It may have been my fault. Now, all the horns, there were five of us, took lessons from the same teacher. And her husband was a well-known high school band director in the area who knew the guest conductor well. So the high school band director went up to the guest conductor and said, hey, can I take the horns into the hallway and have a quick sectional with them on that passage? Mm. And he said, you can take the horns in the hall and leave them there. Mm. Now, at that moment, I slumped back in my chair. That's critical because I always sat on front edge of my chair. Mm -hmm. And I looked to the players on either side of me, friends, and said, what one thing am I supposed to do with that comment? What can I do to improve anything based mm -hmm. upon that? Mm -hmm. I looked around and said, we're the best freaking musicians, high school musicians in the entire state. We should be having a blast. We should work hard, but this should be so much fun. I am going to become a conductor. Sure. I'm going to become the joyful conductor. Because no one will suffer the way we are suffering under my leadership. Fifteen years later, I'm now working at being the joyful conductor. I'm completing my doctoral work, and I've gone to a conducting workshop. And it happens to be at the institution where that guest conductor is a teacher. Mm. And these workshops are fascinating because you get to stand up in front of an ensemble. You pay a lot of money to do this. Mm. And then a member of the staff will come up and rip you to shreds in front of everyone. Mm. It's a tremendous growing experience and it builds character. Mm. And I realized in the rotation that when I got up, that guest conductor was going to be the staff person giving me the critique. No kidding. Like, okay, I remember him. I'm sure he doesn't remember me. I was conducting. Aaron Copeland's Fanfare for the Common Man, which starts with timpani and bass drum. And behind the timpanist was that high school band director who knew the story. And my undergraduate, master's degree, and doctoral conductors, mentors, who all knew the story. They're standing there with a stupid grin on their face because there's a conference going on. So they were all there. They're like, you have to pay admission for this. This is going to be just great. So I did my thing. Conductor had one great comment for me. And then he said, this guy changed all of you. The music just became joyful because of his mere presence. Wow. I never heard this second half of the story. And I looked at him and I said, thank you. Because <laughs> of a wonderful comment. Yes. But also thank you because he had crushed my musical soul yeah. 15 years earlier. Mm. And forced me to decide who I was going to become. Mm -hmm. And at that time, that hurt a lot. Yes. In retrospect, that was a great moment. That was a great moment.
you really did learn that from him in a very indirect sort of way. Now that I mainly started to apply that to other things. I looked at my high school band director. If it wasn't a good day unless somebody was crying. Oh my. And at that moment, I'm like, huh, this isn't the way we actually need to do this. There is another way. Yes. And I started looking at other situations. I became more aware. And yes. for a 10th grader, 11th grader, that, that's, that's pretty big. That's yeah, pretty aware. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's pretty good. That is. And uh, concluded there's another way. Right. I don't have any models. Mm. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. But here we go. <laughs> <laughs> it's worth it. It's, it was an intention. That's what, what we call in the biz a leadership declaration. You made this declaration to yourself that no one is going to be miserable in your ensembles, that you are changing the face of that leadership. Right. You, As you said, I will never be, I'm going to become a conductor and I am never going to be like that. Which I've endeavored to do that. I have stumbled a couple of times. The middle school students, they taught me a great deal. It took me a little while to figure out that I had to teach them with calmness mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and passion. Yes. And that if there was a behavior issue, I had to address it immediately. Yes, yes. With calmness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Before I was addressing it after a little while with passion. Yeah. <laughs> and they thought that was great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Wow. Yeah, middle school students yeah. are a whole different. But there, there have been plenty of opportunities for me to have stumbled and to learn and reflect and say, whoa, okay, that was a miss. One story that I thought was really helpful. I had one of my performing groups at Franklin and Marshall. There were just too many people coming late. And so we we talked. I said, okay, this is this is important. You need to be here at this particular time. Those of you who have classes in front of this, I understand. I have a list. I know who you are. When you come in running late, got it. Everyone else, you need to be in your seats 10 minutes ahead of rehearsal. Okay. And I decided the next time someone came in late who wasn't on that list, it would be a public execution. Oh, ooh. So I, what did you do? So a person came in late and I let them have it. We talked about this last time, blah, blah, blah. You know you're supposed to be on time. And they sheepishly sat down. After rehearsal, they came up to me. They said, Dr. Norcross, I'm sorry that I was late. I'd left my dorm 15 minutes early to come, so I'd be here 10 minutes ahead. But my phone rang. It was my mother. And her brother, my uncle, had just been killed in a car crash. And I was trying to talk her down. Oh, my God, that must have made you feel like throwing up. So Uh, first I said, I am so sorry and sorry how badly I treated you. Yes. Then I asked the important question, are you okay?" She said, I'm doing all right. I said, what can I do for you? But learning that lesson of when something has gone sideways, because no one wants to upset the conductor. There's probably a reason. So the first thing to do is ask. Yes. Are you all right? Yes. So I got a chance to apply that. Two weeks later, we had a a concert. We had a rehearsal just before, and one of the players hadn't arrived. So at the end of the rehearsal, it's a half-hour rehearsal, I called, called Dennis, Mm -hmm. and said, Dennis, Brian Norcross, are you okay? And he went, oh, my gosh. I had fallen asleep. Thank you for waking me up. Mm. I'll be there. I just throw my my concert clothes. I'll, I'll be right there. So, okay, take your time. Everything's okay. I just wanted to make sure that you were all right. He was a sophomore at the time. In his senior exit interview for another department, 
and they asked him, what's the most important event for you at Franklin and Marshall? And he said, I slept through a rehearsal and Norcross called me. And the first thing he said was, are you okay? Wow. Wow. He said, and I, he said, I was preparing to transfer. And then I realized that somebody cared. Wow. That gives me chills. So, <laughs> yeah. You, uh, yeah. You keep on you, learning. You keep on learning. And mm -hmm. responding and recognizing. But again, when people, when you call them by name, treat them with respect and positive. And apologize when you know you screwed up. And when up. you screwed up, and guess what? You are going to screw up. Yeah, exactly. The only question is how many times? Yep, exactly. <laughs> then you say, hey, that's all me. And how many leaders are just so protective of their egos that they cannot admit right. they, when they are when they've made a mistake. Well, particularly when we look at our politician leaders. Yes. <laughs> that's marketing. You can't do that. Yeah. Yes, right. Yes. Can you imagine if you said I, I screwed up? We're like, yeah, when was um, how many more times have you screwed up? Mm -hmm. In fact, I think if more of them did that, then more of us would be interested in being part of the process instead mm -hmm. of what we know is phony. Right. Very true. So in what way did your family or your cultural influences or your community shape the way you view leadership? Well, we talked about some of them. So mm -hmm. school experiences, festival experiences. Um, both my parents were teachers. So that had dramatic impact. My mom is a musician and oboist. My dad was an art teacher. I had him for art kindergarten through eighth grade. Oh, my goodness. I was convinced we were going to college together. Oh, that's <laughs> sweet. <laughs> but he stopped at eighth grade and I just went on to high school like, what? what? Wait a minute. <laughs> Doesn't everybody have a parent? Who's yeah, a teacher? But, <laughs> and he was actually a very important part of my discovery about how to be calm and passionate. Because when I was struggling teaching middle school, it's a middle school, high school assignment. High school, no problem. I figured the kids out. They figured me out. Great. Middle school kids, no. They're having me for lunch. And I tried to think about some of the teachers I had had and how they would handle things. And I thought, wait a minute. One of them was my dad. Mm. And can you imagine middle school art? The potential. Mm. <laughs> the potential for disaster is it's huge. All over the place. Hey, yes. today we're working with clay. You know, <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, my goodness. So how did he deal with that? Well, he, he was calm. He had a sense of humor. So he'd find things to laugh at. And I thought, okay, maybe I've already seen the model how to do this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think that had big impact. I was going to concerts since well, I was in utero. Mm. <laughs> uh -huh. So I think that had impact also. I grew up in a really wonderful town that was supportive of the arts and supportive of education. So I think all of those things came together. I also know that some of the more influential musicians for me were my church music directors. Interesting. So I think that had a great impact mm -hmm. also. In fact, I, I wanted to be a church organist. No kidding. Because wow. I thought, how wonderful to sit just at this one keyboard and you get all of these sounds and you're in total control of <laughs> all of that. <laughs> now, there, there are a lot of other variables that <laughs> particularly church musicians have to deal with. And maybe that influenced me in becoming a church musician as well. As a conductor, it's very different because I'm 100% relying on everyone else. Mm -hmm. As an organist, I'm relying on nobody. Yeah, that's right. 
<laughs> if you take that hymn faster, everybody's coming yeah, along. They're coming along, man. <laughs> You've got a yeah, lot yeah, of control. Yeah. Can oh, we shorten the sermon? Yeah, that's yeah. the last hymn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Really interesting. I've always wondered, we were talking about the rocks early on and, and how you, you put in the, the gravel and the sand and the water and you fill that you fill that baby up. And hearing your story about the influence of your church music directors growing up, I can see why that drives you to want to serve in your congregation like that. Well, it's interesting when I finally got the position at First United Methodist, first off, I was not going to apply. Hmm. Kim and I had talked, my wife, uh, we decided, okay, either she has to get a job when we do daycare or I get another job and she could stay home with the kids. Hmm. So maybe doing a part-time church position would be a reasonable thing. The church we were in, First Time Methodist, we really loved. Music director was a wonderful guy named Paul Fisher. Oh, yes. And I saw no evidence he was slowing down. So he's not going to be retiring. And so like, uh, so we talked about that. And the next Sunday, I ran into Paul in the hallway and he said, I'm retiring and I'd like you to uh, to No apply. kidding. I said, excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> and then I went to a Sunday school class where we talked about the importance of balancing your life. And there was a quote from Barbara Bush. Okay. That your children won't care. What deal you close today? Mm-hmm. They just want to have time with you. Mm-hmm. I said, mm-hmm. okay, that's it. I'm not applying for this position. We're going to figure this out some other way. Mm-hmm. I walked out and someone walked to me. She said, you're applying for the position? I said, <laughs> well, I'm thinking about it. And then another person. And then after the service, a third person. I thought three times. Wow. That yeah. shows up too many times in the Bible. Okay. Yes, exactly. So I applied. And I remember the audition. Wow. Where I'd work with a choir, we did a piece that I had selected, and then a piece that had been selected by them for me to conduct. It was written by Rayfon Williams, and it's titled, Oh, Clap Your Hands. Oh, yes. And I said to the group, Oh, clap your hands. And they all started clapping. <laughs> like, okay, this is how it's going to be? Fine. Interesting. And the relationship just exploded. Now I'm at 32 years there. And wow. that's soon after I got the position, that's when I recognized that this was a ministry. Yes. And that the kind of things that I'm doing with the kind of students that I'm doing, because Franklin Marshall is not a musical mecca. Let's just be clear about mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. So I recognized what I'm doing there is actually really maybe more important than I could have done at a conservatory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So all that started to come together to say, okay, these were God-given gifts. Mm-hmm. And now I'm using them the way... Yeah, I was supposed to. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, mm-hmm. good. So that was also a sense of calm. Because prior to that, I'm thinking, I got to get out of Franklin or Marshall. This is a huge dead end. Mm-hmm. We don't have facility. We don't have scholarships. Of course, now we have a beautiful facility. <laughs> <laughs> As you're speaking, I'm thinking how evident it is that the core of who you are and the gifts that you've been given that that has that has infused every part of your professional and personal and life. personal life absolutely i mean committing to four children yes and how old was your your oldest when you started at at franklin and marshall she wasn't oh she wasn't okay <laughs> and how about at first united methodist at that point we had three okay okay when i was working out with my doctor it was clear i couldn't do anything else mm-hmm well, during that time, we got up to three children. Oh, geez. With the third one, while I was working on my dissertation, I had a race. Who was going to get done first? 
Oh my goodness. And if Grayson was born first, I would lose because I would know that I couldn't work on this anymore yeah. for a long time. Right. And my doctor advisor said, there's no way. When oh. I finished, he said, you won. <laughs> wow. More sand, more water. <laughs> <laughs> bigger base, bigger base. Oh my goodness. 26 hours. So this next question, I think we have we have hit, um, but I'll I'll just give you a chance to recap. And okay. the question is how is how has the art and discipline of music mm. influenced you in becoming the leader you are today? I mean, we've talked about it a ton, but I'm just wondering if there's a a concise Yeah, there is I think one more thought that ties in with this. Many of you know that to be a fine musician, you have to practice. Mm -hmm. I think that's true for anything. Now, it's hard for me to actually put my my feet into other people's shoes because mm -hmm. I have an experience what other people have. But for me, that's what, what I had to do. Well, I was a practicing maniac. <laughs> I can believe that. Because I was practicing three or four hours a day in middle school and high school. Mm. My breaks in practicing was to do homework. But I was an inefficient rehearse, uh, practicer. I would just go over and over and over mm -hmm. without a clear sense of what am I trying to accomplish? If I heard something wrong, I would fix it and then go over that many, many, many times. But as far as figuring out how to take me from one place to the next, mm -hmm. I hadn't developed that, that understanding that one of the best ways to practice on an instrument is to sing your music. Oh, yes. Because then you get the rhythm, the phrasing, the articulation, the dynamics, and then you can pick up your instrument, use the technique and use everything that's now in you to sing through your instrument. Yes, yes. I think there are parallels to the business world, but I was a just completely inefficient from from that standpoint. And that actually, I think, hindered my development as a musician because I got so good. Technically, I had trouble getting to the musical side where you go beyond the written note, the next step. And I struggled with that through college. Well, thanks for that, Brian. I'm curious because there's so many folks that are listening to this and I would like to know what you'd like to invite the listeners to consider or explore when it comes to their own leadership journey or their own development as a leader. Wow. I mean, first off, I'd love them to come to some of the concerts that I conduct. Uh, and what's unique is that I introduce all the music because I think that's important. We no longer have printed program notes, in fact. Instead, we do what I call living program notes. Yes. which gives the audience a chance to hear a person talk about why they should be listening to this music. And I try to have one or two points and at least one thing that's relatively humorous, at least that I think is funny. And then people tolerate that. Uh -oh. So the Allegro Orchestra Lancaster go to websites, but they have concerts uh, each month in the summer, June, July, and August, and then have music in the round concerts, which are more intimate during the academic year. In fact, music in the round is designed for the audience to sit around the group. Mm -hmm. So it's a completely different kind of experience and really great for folks who don't go to orchestras very much to say, mm -hmm. okay, this sounds not intimidating, like they're having fun. Mm -hmm. And we also have some food and what's more fun than food. And those are opportunities. Otherwise, I just encourage them to be aware. I am so happy that we're going into a presidential election are you now i am because there's so much to learn from some of these i was going to say clowns oh i just did um <laughs> i was gonna i could 
it's looked like the word bozo was but, on your list. Oh, yeah, I was going to avoid bozo. Okay. No, what clowns? Okay. And they are, they're all smart. Yes. Every single one of them is brilliant. So watching how they present themselves, I almost don't listen to what they're saying. I'm <laughs> listening to how they're saying it. Uh, how many words are they using? What's their body language like? Mm -hmm. A couple of years ago, there was a presidential debate and someone had set the table for the next person to deliver a one-liner that was just going to chop them out of the sky. Mm. And the person who was going to deliver it recognized it. And they were so excited that their body just flew apart. Their arms were flailing away and their heads rocking back and forth. And we kind of lost the one-liner because they weren't able to deliver it. <laughs> so oh. this is a wonderful time to watch all of that. And so I'm really excited about that. And that's why I talk to my students also. Watch this. There's so many mm. things to, to, to learn. A and watch your professors. Mm. So out, those of you out in the big, bad world, watch your supervisor. Yes. Observe. Observe. Pay attention. So this has actually become a mantra for me after I had a really rocky guest conducting experience. I'm not going to give locations because I, I don't want to do that. But when I arrived, I arrived an hour early so I could look at the rehearsal space. And when I walked into the rehearsal space, it was clearly too small. And the manager who was in charge of all this was frantically trying to set up the chairs. I said, you go right ahead. I'm going to get out of the way. You do what you need to do. Because normally I want to sit in the chair so I know what the students are going to feel and be able to look to see what they're going to be seeing, what the background is for me. Mm -hmm. I want to play some of the percussion instruments to find out, do we have real instruments or do we have some trash can lids for some cymbals? Mm -hmm. Couldn't do any of that. So, okay, I have to figure out how I'm going to take this group, outstanding high school musicians, over 100 of them, and deal with the fact that they are not going to have adequate space to perform. Mm. This could be horrible. They could be so upset. So I decided I needed to just tell the truth. Stood in front of them and said, we observe that the space is too small. We accept this because this is where we have to rehearse. We have no other choices. We have to figure it out. All right, so position yourself, whatever you have to do so you can play well. And we are going to observe, accept, and figure it out. Okay, two days later, we moved to another location, which I told was going to be worse. And I said to the host, I don't see how that's possible, but I trust you. You say it can be worse. Well, it was worse. Now, it was a bigger space so we could spread out, but it was very loud. There was a ventilator that was producing about 80 decibels, mm. and it was cold. So all the musicians had to wear their coats. It was that cold. So I said to them, we observe. It's too loud and it's cold. We accept this because this is where we have to rehearse. And we're told when we go to the concert hall, it's going to be great. So let's figure it out. You're going to have to watch my baton. You can't go with what you're hearing because you can't hear. And we move to the concert hall stage. And it was too small. Huh. So I said to the musicians, we observe. <laughs> the stage is too small. Did they get it? Yes. By at this point, they're like, okay. I said, we accept this. This is where we have to perform. Right. You already know how to deal with the space that's too small. Yeah. Apply what you've learned, figure it out. Yes. Yeah. No one complained. They mm. had every right to. Yeah. Because their festival was damaged because the host couldn't accommodate us. Right. They didn't yeah. complain because mm. I helped them observe, accept, figure it out. Yes. Beautiful. I love that. I had a client 
a couple of weeks ago that said to me, I am so aware that I am unaware. <laughs> like, like I am not aware. And I thought, well, then you're, that is really great that you are aware that you're unaware because then we can do something with it. I am fascinated with the day after major performances. And that for me, that happens almost once a week. Mm -hmm. The next day I'm getting into the car and I'm trying to be aware. How am I making decisions? Oh, I pulled out in front of that car. That wasn't very good. Oh, I forgot to turn on my blinker. Whoa. Okay. I am not in very good shape right now. <laughs> so I need to change my speed and not just driving, but I'm going to have to slow down because I'm obviously not able to make decisions as fast and as well as I could have because I'm beat up from what happened yesterday. Right. I'm not in a good place. Yeah. You know, and just extending that concept to, you know, we're going to out in the in the business world. We have crappy days. There are things that are breaking down all the time. How are we going to respond to that? And if we're not aware of how we're feeling in that moment that is causing us to blow up or become ineffective or whatever the whatever impact is. is, we've lost. We've we've lost. We've lost ground. We've, you know, we've lost opportunities. That's the moment that everyone who's looking to you when they learn everything. Mm-hmm. We all look pretty good when it's a sunny day. Yeah. Not too hot. Not it's it's when it's raining or crazy hot. Yes. That's when we find out what's going on. Mm-hmm. Another story. So I had a Franklin and Marshall student who had played a concert for me for an opening convocation. So they were in their concert attire, which meant they were wearing heels. And so they were walking on campus. They saw a campus tour coming their direction. So they tried to maneuver around them by going walking down a step. And they lost their footing and twisted their ankle and fell. Now it's an emergency. She's injured. And the tour guide stopped the tour, called for help, waited with her until help arrived. And she said to me, no one on this tour is going to ever come here. And I said, I bet every single one of them apply. Mm -hmm. Because they saw this place when there was an emergency. How did they respond? How did they react? Yes. Everything looks good when it's sunny. Let's see how we're doing when it's raining. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think that also is important for us as leaders to recognize it's the bad days, the rainy days that we need to be big bird Mm -hmm. among the stormtroopers. Yes. Yes. It's how you, how you respond under pressure and how people see you respond. I saw a, a fascinating study by a psychologist at Franklin Marshall. And he was studying what's called white noise. Now, mm-hmm. this is not what we hear on the radio. Oh, okay. This is what happens inside your brain when something opposite of what you're expecting takes place. He measured this by having electrodes all over the person's head and having them play video games and then have the video game controller not respond or not respond the way they wanted it. Oh, interesting. And measure what happened. How did the oh. person respond? Mm-hmm. And then recognize that frustration, anxiety, anger, all these things developed. Mm-hmm. And I thought, this is really fascinating because I think this is what happens to some of my conducting colleagues. They're conducting, they hear something go wrong and it's different than what they were expecting. White noise in their brain pro- produces this emotional reaction, which they no longer have control over. Mm-hmm. And they lash out in anger and frustration. I said, I wonder if I just don't hear the white noise 
or if I've learned to deal with it. And I, could we do a study? I asked him. <laughs> and he said, no way. Because <laughs> 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 there are too many variables. Yeah. We wouldn't be able to break it down to this particular thing. But he said, I suspect that you're right. Yeah. I so I think too. that's also useful for us as, as leaders because as a leader, you generally are the receptor of bad news. Yes. And oftentimes you're the giver of bad news. True. So be able to flip that in some way to a positive, mm -hmm. but also recognize that you're being infiltrated. No, you're being influenced. Influenced. You're being COVID this to us. It was contagious. Oh, you're, yes, yes. Uh, infected. There's infected. the word. Okay. You're being infected by white noise. Yes. Very interesting. And going full circle now, you can't recognize that unless you have an ability to be aware. Right. I actually, on my signature, on my email, I have a, a free download uh, for developing awareness. And it's becoming aware of the voices in your head, becoming mm -hmm. aware of your body, being, being aware of your emotions and why those are important. And it's just a series, many pages of practices for developing yeah. awareness oh my gosh um because if you're not aware you can't make it you cannot change things that you're not aware of no <laughs> there's right. no way you have to be able to see and shift the observer that you are so a value or guiding principle i think you've shared but let's let's see again as we draw it together what is one value value or guiding principle that informs your work and that is infused in everything you believe or how you approach leadership. That you have to be joyful with what you're doing. Joyful. Positive. Positive. And that's in the face of white noise, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. being big bird. So if you can be joyful when it's raining, and so if that becomes your consistency. Yes. But it also has to be truthful and accurate. Mm -hmm. It has to be authentic. It has to be authentic. Another story. One of our colleagues, a guy named Barry Benjamin. Oh. Terrific French horn player, just a great guy. Um, he called me one day. He was in Chicago to say, I'm moving to Lancaster. And is there any chance I could help out at Franklin and Marshall with teaching horn? We're on the phone and I have Googled him. And seeing his bio, I said, Well, Barry, I see that you are probably the most significant freelance horn player in Chicago and New York. I think there's a chance we may be able to come up with something for you. Here. Yes. So he played for me uh, soon after that in, in a rehearsal, getting ready for performance. And he went home after the first rehearsal and said to his wife, I don't trust this guy. Interesting. Because he is always smiling and he seems yes. to be always happy. There's something wrong with him. Yes. Next rehearsal. He came home. She said, well, he said, I do not trust this guy. He is always happy. He is always joyful. He gives us good instructions. He's got a good ear. But uh, I don't know. After the concert, he came home and she said, well, and he said, I found a happy conductor. <laughs> <laughs> Impossible, she it's said. How, how could this be? She says, no, Barry, you, there's no, no way, no way. There's no such thing. It's so, an oxymoron. Consistency, but yeah. it has to be authentic. If it's yes. not authentic, and it's okay. I've said this to, to groups I'm rehearsing. I'm not having a great day. So I'm going to be relying on you to, yes. okay? 
I remember saying that to my middle school kids, because when you declare that, you give them an opportunity to, to, to exercise empathy. One of the best rehearsals I ever had was when I was teaching high school and I had my wisdom teeth out and there were issues with it. So I had swollen up. Uh, I was still an idiot and did not take the day uh, I was there to teach. I couldn't speak. (laughs) Yes. Talk about the sand in the water. So (laughs) I, with just hand gestures, getting other people to almost with pantomime, to figure out, we were able to rehearse extremely effectively because they were so excited to be attuned to every single thing I was doing to try to communicate to them without being able to talk. Yes. Oh, it was awesome. Yes. (laughs) I, and I remember doing that. I, I, every once in a while, we would have, when I was conducting the Kennett Symphony Children's Chorus, we would have a silent rehearsal. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just, yeah. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the, yeah. I, I think those are joyful, joyful, joyful. So what's your favorite leadership quote? <laughs> oh, I shared with you, I have a bunch. I know. Yes. But uh, perhaps my favorite is from Leonard Bernstein, the conductor, which is to do great things. You need two things. One is a plan. And second is not quite enough time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's another quote of his, that, which is that just ignites, that just turns the like, heat up. Just, just, I love that. Oh. Just, yeah. His other quote was our response to violence yes, is to do our music more passionately, more beautifully than ever before. And he said that the day after JFK was assassinated. Mm. Wow. And remarkable that's ringing so loud and true today, mm-hmm. 60 years later, yeah. 62 years later. Yeah. Um, holy cow. Uh, 61 said okay around there more than half a century that's that's again what another one of those leadership declarations that sets the expectation that we are not in this in the face of violence in the face of awful things that we are not going to succumb to that we're going to we are going to play music more passionately more what were the more passionately more beautifully Yes, there may have been another one. Yeah, adjective, yeah. But, but just recognizing that when things go bad, we're we're not going to just roll over. And I remember on when nine eleven happened. Yes, yes. And, and we all have stories for those of us who have remembrances from that time. I remember just not knowing what to do, so I sat down at our piano and I just started playing hymns. Mm-hmm. And I this TV was still on, but I started playing them louder and louder. Mm. And I suddenly realized I was trying to drown it out. out. Yeah. So that's. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's the weed and feed. We're going to try and get more grass to grow over the weeds. We're going to drown out the violence. We're going to choke it out. That means you have to be big bird. Yes. I love that. (laughs) That's such a great meme. If you can find that. I will send it to to me. Because I'd love to put it in the show notes. I will send it to you. (laughs) So how can people experience the fruits of your lifelong commitment to bringing joy through music? How can they come see you at work with the Allegro Orchestra? How can they get tickets? How can they become subscribers? How they can how can they stay connected with Allegro? Yeah, so the Allegro website is where you will be able to find seasons, tickets, all of that. And you, you just search for Allegro. Uh, Allegro Orchestra will certainly get you there. Okay. And, uh, there's also Franklin and Marshall College. All of our concerts are free. Oh, wow. Right now, our website is 
developing. Okay. From something that was really terrible. At FM. Yes. This is the, so the there's a new website coming, and then I, I'm sure it's going to be easier to navigate. Right now it's hard. Okay. Um, but generally there are free concerts November, December, February, March, April, wow. almost every weekend. And if there's someone listening who is local enough to Lancaster who wants to come and actually see leadership in action in a rehearsal setting, would you be open to? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and I've, okay. I've had people do that. Excellent. And it'd be a wonderful chance to talk as well. Yeah. And then to also debrief after to say, okay, let's, let's talk about what you just saw. I'm just an email away. I respond very fast to emails. It's I will put that your email in the yeah. show notes and um, Allegro Lancaster. Yes. And if you can send me the link for the F&M performances, yeah. I'll include that I'll do since that. they're not hard to find. Yeah. So they're because they're not as easy they're to find. They're not easy to find right now. Okay. And so email is the best way for folks to connect with yeah, you? I, yeah, because I'm an emailaholic. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> God bless you. Yeah. Oh, yes. Email. Oh, my. I think it's great. I used to think it was great. <laughs> but it, it's it's it infiltrates the space where the sand and the water, you know, it fills up those spaces that I've it's that I've talked yeah. about. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's your water. Oh wow. So any last thoughts before we pull well, things to a close? I mean, there there are only about thirty thousand leadership books out there. Yes. Yes, I think 60,000, you'll get 60,000 hits on Amazon. I did check. Yes. That's that, that's terrible. 60,000. 60,000. Yep. My goodness. So there's lots of choices to read things. And so that's great. And some people know what they're talking about. Some mm -hmm. people don't. Mm -hmm. But when you start adding them up, they're saying the same things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The people that you're leading have to trust you. They have to believe in you, which means you have to know what you're doing. Almost all of them say something about passion. For me, that's joy mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and communication. And that, I mean, there it all is. Yeah. People have asked me to write a leadership book. And I said, so here are the bullets that will be on the first page. That'll be $25, please. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's it. Yeah. Um, and be ready to learn. Be ready to learn. Because it's coming. Yeah. Thank you for that. I'm I'm thinking about, you know, all of those leadership books. And the one that I gravitate to is the one that has um, done the research to show unequivocally what the characteristics are that are correlated, positively correlated to leadership effectiveness mm. and negatively correlated to leadership effectiveness. So in other words, here are the qualities that every leader needs to be doing. And all of the, those that you've mentioned there, are there, part of that. There's one more that we didn't talk about that I think we probably should just. Okay. And it's values. Oh, yes. Yes. Uh, and one of my favorite leadership books, I think, is titled You Can't Teach Leadership, But You Can Learn It. Mm. And it's written by a retired police officer who is doing officer training. Yes. Okay. And he said, I can give you all the oh, techniques. Yeah. It's how you apply them. And that's your values, what your value system mm -hmm. is. Mm hmm. And my, the other book I have all my conducting students read is Leading with Kindness. Oh, I love the title of that. And I first time I saw it was not where you'd expect. It was in the bookstore at Juilliard. Oh, no kidding. Like, what? Uh, that doesn't, that seems <laughs> like the non sequitur. The, you're right. Well, apparently it was being used by one of the classes because there was like a whole shelf of them. Wow. Like, oh, my goodness. That's pretty that's that, stunning. 
Yeah. Uh, and I was surprised. The front half of the book was defining what kindness isn't. Yes. Okay. It isn't being wishy-washy. No. And it isn't being all Pollyanda uh, yeah. and, and saying things that aren't true. Yes. And it's like, clear. Wow, it's clear. It's authentic. It's concise. So, yes. It's timely. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for such a rich conversation, Brian. This has really been a really a pleasure. And as I said, listeners early on, you know, I've known Brian for close to 40 years. We don't, you know, I get to experience his leadership from the perspective of um, a performer, but it's so really awesome to be able to sit down and to hear your your thinking and your intention and where and the stories of where this gift of leadership comes from for you and hard-earned you know it's it honed where it comes from and how you apply it and and how intentional maybe intentional is a good word but also maybe passionate you care so deeply about leading well and that really yeah. comes that really comes through thanks Chris. so thank you so much for for being here and sharing your time it's a joy awesome so and friends listeners thanks for tuning in to this month's episode of turning points in leadership i trust you like me are walking away inspired inspired by brian's stories by all the everything that anchors his his leadership um, i really encourage you to reflect on your own leadership and how it is that you can make a difference in your work or community, because every single one of us is a leader and is capable of being a leader and is responsible for leadership in our spheres of influence. I believe that to the core of my soul. And I think we, we are, our world needs us, each one of us to work through that and become the best leader that we are capable of being. So again, thanks for tuning in and we'll look forward to seeing you next time for the next episode of Turning Points in Leadership. Take care now. Thanks for tuning in today. Be sure to take a moment to like, share, and comment on today's episode. If you're not already a member of the Turning Points Leadership community, you can accelerate your development as a leader by joining today. You'll find the link to the community in the show notes. If you'd like to be a guest on Chris's show, send an email to turningpointsguest at liveworksatisfied.com. See you next time for more Turning Points in Leadership.